0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Pete Kunze. My guest today is Justin Owen Rollins, a- Assistant Professor of Media Studies and Film Studies at the University of Tulsa, and the author of Imagining the Method, Reception, Identity, and American Screen Performance. The book was published by the University of Texas Press in 2024. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, Pete. Thank you for having me.
1: The pleasure is mine. Uh, To begin with, uh, can you tell us a bit about your background and training?
2: sure so i have a combined phd in communication and culture and american studies from indiana university bloomington so my training is it was primarily in the cultural histories of north american media media culture reception studies um that kind of thing
1: great and and so um i imagine if i'm correct that this project came out of your dissertation
2: it did it did um it's uh it, I don't know how this experience was for you, but for me, it's a very particular process of, of mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it quite adaptation, right? But um, the dissertation certainly informed the book, yeah.
1: So can you tell us a little bit more about that that process of mm-hmm. revision, expansion, deletion, burning? <laughs> um, I, I know a lot of our listeners are, are early career scholars. so um, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, I myself just published my, my book out of my diss mm-hmm. and it was a a major facelift. Um so <laughs> I would love to hear about how you uh, dealt with the slings and arrows of your own book writing.
2: Yeah, and I I'll preface this by saying I think there are a number of different schools of thought for the relationship between a dissertation and a book, right? Um there seems to be a, a cottage industry of books about making a book out of a dissertation. For me, uh there were a couple of different uh strands of thinking. Um you know, there was a, a a number of pragmatic considerations my dissertation was uh, very uh long much longer than i thought a book should be um and so i needed to think about where it made sense to streamline the argument uh i don't know if this is your experience in, in your dissertation but in going back over my dissertation after i uh finished I found that it was a bit overly repetitive at times so thinking about how to how to make a more effective and efficient um, argument and I think there were also just you know there's just the natural evolution of the project as you continue to read and 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 think about it Um, and then there's the more esoteric uh consideration which is um you know who is this book speaking to um it's no longer uh, committee it's now a much broader audience and and a much uh, broader world um and what is my voice as a writer so for me what that looked like was you know slimming the the project way down and then kind of rebuilding it and reorganizing it um historically adding um uh, a few different chapters um and uh uh, uh condensing some of the 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 prehistory of method uh, was much much larger in the dissertation and here it went from I think sixty thousand words down to about twelve thousand words um, and so really thinking about what what's the what's the 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 narrative thread I want here who am I speaking to what's my voice how how do I make this uh, uh make sense for a, a larger readership
1: great so the question I have next for you is. Kind of a a, a broad one, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's just what drew you to the method. Why why the method as your your object of study?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, that's a great question. In part because I think it's a, I think working on the method is a double-edged sword. Uh, it's on the one hand, method acting has absorbed so much of the oxygen in conversations about stage and screen performance for the last seventy years that there's been a lot of ink spilled, a lot of a lot of arguments uh, in print and on online about um, what method acting is, what it isn't, uh, people going to method, and so on and so forth. And I, you know, I came to this in a kind of funny way in that I was working on a a project for a seminar and it was about this really terrible John Wayne movie where he plays Genghis Khan. Um, And one of the, the strangest things I kept coming across in the reception discourse was people saying Marlon Brando would have been much better in this role than John Wayne. And so, you know, aside from, or in addition to the kind of, obvious, you know, history of uh, of uh, white actors doing yellow face performance, I thought, well, what are the assumptions here about these people as performers? Um, and so I dug a little bit deeper and deeper, and I just came across this fascinating body of reception material about how people made sense of Marlon Brando. And I knew enough about the kind of tenets of method acting at the time to know that the way people were talking about Brando's acting as method had very little relation to actual method tenets. And so that that's where the project started. And the more I dug and the more I looked across different historical uh, eras, the more of that I found. And to to the extent that um, I, it's it's become an entrenched way of thinking about and talking about screen acting. And it's kind of evolved beyond even needing to mention the word method, oftentimes, which I think is really fascinating. Um, and that's where I, in the book, I talk about this concept of methodness. I needed to think of some way of talking about this received idea of method acting and actors that was that bore some some connections, some historical uh, connections to actual method acting, but in many ways has transcended um the 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 philosophies and techniques that are um you know technically associated with method acting
1: yeah that that really resonates with me i remember uh, years ago when i was a graduate student talking with a, a crusty senior scholar media historian at scms and they just said uh, over a glass of wine, well, you know, all history projects are really the same. You're basically just arguing, it's been happening for longer than you realize, and it's more complicated <laughs> than you realize, um, which at the time I rolled my eyes, and then I went and wrote my own media history, and I'm like, I ended up <laughs> arguing the exact same thing, <laughs> right, that yeah. it's been happening longer, and, and it's more complicated than you realize. and. I feel like every sentence I wrote could have been like well actually when you look closer and and I feel like I feel like there's a lot of corrective in your work as well when you agree that it's like you know the way that we use you know um, for you the method for me the Disney Renaissance the way we use these terms in popular discourse actually don't hold up upon historical analysis right Um, so but we'll dig into that more today
2: right so Yeah, yeah exactly and and I think it you know, one of the things that that I think you and I both wrestle with, I know I certainly wrestle with in this book, is that, you know, I am one person trying to talk about this concept that has really gripped uh, popular culture in the U.S. for, you know, more than half a century. And so how do I contribute to that discourse without kind of falling into some of the historical traps that have, that have bedeviled a lot of really smart people doing really important work. Um, And I think that's one of the great challenges of talking about method acting is trying to carve out your analysis in a very noisy room with people who um, are, um, you know, in terms of uh, kind of popular discourse communities, not scholarly discourse communities, uh, those popular outlets where they are, you know, rehashing kind of old, old worn out and incorrect um uh understandings of of method acting i mean the jeremy strong example is a, is a very obvious one right where you know uh, a small group of of us uh film nerds and acting nerds can can crow about this on twitter right to our collective following of of you know 5000 people um but variety magazine only needs to you know rehash some uh, kind of reductive uh, summary of the New Yorker profile, and that's immediately consumed by, you know, 200,000 people or something, right? Um, so I'm very cognizant of the fact that they're, when working on reception, uh, I am one very small node in a much larger matrix of of this broader interpretive landscape that we all reside on
1: and and that sets up my next question nicely which is that you know the the studying of acting and performance within our field film studies is 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 vibrant right Mm -hmm. and goes back to you know, at least as early as James Naramore comes to mind for me. Um, mm-hmm. And and this is someone who's just appreciated this work from afar, but also thinking about uh, scholars like Cynthia Barron and Sharon Carnegie and then Isaac Butler's more recent book. And so I'm just curious about how you see your work in conversation with those folks and kind of f- furthering this conversation that you see um, by, by your own words is kind of a, you know, I, I believe you said it was a, was it noisy or loud or at least one where, you know, mm-hmm. it, it you admit that there's a lot of work that's been done here already, and I think mm-hmm. that this is one of the challenges that a lot of us face is when we want to talk about something that has a a pretty solid foundation and find a
2: space for ourselves within it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, the work that you mentioned, you know, um, uh, and and there, there are, there's a lot of work that's been done over the last... Oh, uh, especially the last decade or so, but we can go as far back as you know Naramore's work and, and the work of several other folks. And that's doing really vital um, service in carving out a space in the film text for for a critical understanding of how acting creates meaning, how it contributes meaning to the overall significance of you know, of the film what uh um how we can especially with someone like Naramore, how we can uh uh kind of take on an analytical frame he talks about the performance frame for how we would study uh the the way that meaning is generated by performance in a film um and you might notice that the recurring uh uh thing here is we're we're talking about film centric analysis and that's incredibly important because you know historically uh film and media studies has not paid too much attention to uh to screen acting um we we attended far earlier to the idea of the star you know the celebrity right um but not to the craft of performance uh on screen and so w- my intervention is is to really work with the the screen-centric um, uh, approaches to performance, and think about what happens uh, uh, contextually, paratextually. Like, how are those meanings created in those spaces outside the film, contributing to how we attach meaning to performances on film or to film performances? Um, because in my own training as a reception studies scholar, I know that there's a lot of that work happening outside of those things. I mean, some people, you know, some people may not even um, watch a movie, but they consume a lot of trailers. Um, I I talk about this a bit with work on Tom Cruise, that, you know, um, far more people have experienced Tom Cruise cinematic stunt work by watching making of uh, shorts on YouTube and trailers that have actually watched the Mission Impossible films, right? Um, so just thinking about how those how those spaces outside of the film can become really important venues for helping us make sense of how mm, how screen performance takes on meaning, and I think that's a space where we look to understand how. An idea of method acting has taken on a life of its own and largely superseded the practices of of method acting and how it ends up drawing in all of these different people who are not method actors but they can get sucked in the jeremy strong's and the montgomery cliffs and the daniel day lewises they are not method they're not method actors and they have all in their own you know respective ways articulated as much but there's this gravitational pull and this received idea of method acting that kind of gets sucks them in and and brands them as as method actors either explicitly or we get the kind of discourse about you know daniel day lewis stayed in character for the entirety of this film and became a cobbler and yeah 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 Yeah.
1: so i i'm hoping we can take that a step further and i apologize for this question being reminiscent of a dissertation defense but uh (laughs) I, I'm hoping you can talk a bit about mm-hmm. methodology, because you know, I I think this is the thing that constantly fascinates me about the work we do is mm-hmm. how do we do it, right? right? I mean, you know, um, and and what are the ways into these questions? And and I dabbled a bit in performance analysis recently and realized that I really had to. I had to think of new methods for how I had normally done my own research, right? And thinking right. about you know, like, do you do thick description, right? And, and thinking about different kind of facets of paying attention to gesture and voice and um, yeah. corporality, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I wanna hear you talk. So like for you, when you were kind of coming at method from um, let's say the, the the angle of reception, right? Mm-hmm. How did you kind of structure your research so you could tell this story?
2: That's a great question and this is something that I puzzled over for a, quite a long time because there um I think that there's a uh there are two intertwined and tangled um, methods that I uh, that I employed here, which is um you know historical analysis and discursive analysis. and each of those um ha- they they are so, uh, uh, generative in terms of of what they can yield, but for someone like me who is uh, obsessive about uh, trying to be a a completist, there are a number of, of of real challenges in terms of where do you draw your boundaries so that you're not doing uh, uh, you're not just uh, drafting and researching until the end of time. Um, and you know, when working on a dissertation, that's one of the ways that my my advisor and my committee were great and just just saying, you know what? you just just stop there and and work with what you have. But you know, uh, once you are working on your book, there's not as much of, of that, right? You don't have as many of those guardrails. So that's where I um, that's one of the primary motivations behind uh, breaking this book down and reorganize it into a series of vignettes. So that I was so I was artificially circumscribing um, the extent to which, uh, you know, um, I I framed this particular chapter diachronically and just the how much of the the uh, the extent of the discourse that I looked at synchronically. So um, in some cases, those decisions are made for me by the availability of materials. uh, in in the case of something like um, the chapter on James Dean, just to give one example, that chapter is built around a body of letters written to Hedda Hopper, and uh, we, we have to acknowledge that the letters that Hedda Hopper retained and donated to the Herrick Library are not indicative of all of the letters that she received, right? Um, but they still can be um, uh, uh, illustrative of how many audience members made sense of James Dean. Tried to work with Hedda Hopper to appropriate an, uh, uh, an interpretation of James Dean toward their own kind of ideological ends. So, you know, I I found as a as a reception scholar that you know, um, and as someone who has long approached my work historically that uh doing discourse analysis works really well with historical analysis at the same time uh the things that make them so generative also make them incredibly challenging to rein in um this book could have easily been 500 pages um i don't know that anyone would want to read that but um but there's just, you know, there's so much raw material um, that trying to rein that in and trying to to kind of elicit the the core threads that I think are, are, are worth taking away. Um, that was one of the biggest challenges at work here.
0: This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly empathize with that kind of kill your darlings mentality, right? <laughs> because on the one hand, you're mm-hmm. like, "Look at this cool thing I found," and on the other hand, you're like, "I've got to keep someone's attention um, mm-hmm. for you know the space." And then also presses, of course, only give us so much room, right? So we, we have right. to learn to to cut ourselves <laughs> down. Yeah. Um, but I'll, again, I'll save that for my I'll save that for my therapist. Um, so. <laughs> you talk a lot about paratexts in your book as yeah. well and I, and so i was hoping that we could talk about the cover of your book in, in part because i have cover envy um i, I think it's a really great cover um oh, thank you. and uh and i hadn't looked closely at it until i read your book um so for those listening at home uh the cover of of justin's book is a, a very sultry Marlon brando uh leaning up against um I guess, a wall um, and with his leg up and a script on his leg and a cigarette in his hand. And there's, you know, this kind of poof of smoke coming out of his mouth. And in the background, there are some men who use wheelchairs um, sitting at a table. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of becomes a useful framing device for you. Can you can yeah. you talk a little bit more about, um, I mean, no one's going to, no one's going to criticize you for throwing Brando on the cover of the book, but, uh, <laughs> but, but why do you think this image of Brando in particular yeah. is, is evocative?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your kind words about the cover. It it was a process to get it. I didn't know that I was going to get this cover until uh, relatively late in the process. Um, it So this is an image, I, I allude to this, uh, or I kicked the book off with this, but it, it, this is an image that is uh, from life magazine's uh series of photographs of Brando as he's preparing for his very first film role in the men in the men he plays a soldier who is um uh uh hit by a sniper and um uh, loses the use of his his legs and has to he goes into this VA um uh, uh facility and tries to kind of uh regain his strength and so uh, What Brando does is he goes to a VA facility in Birmingham in Southern California for a month and he he immerses himself in the culture there and he tries to live everyday life like someone who does not have the use of his legs. And, um, that work, that preparation work is something that life magazine, uh, documented extensively had featured in two different profiles of Brando before the men came out. This photo didn't end up getting published in uh, uh, those life features. And it's one of the few photos from that shoot where he's shown, quote unquote, like not preparing, right? He's not immersed. He's standing on top of the wheelchair instead of sitting in the wheelchair as he is in in so many of the, the Life magazine images. Um, And so there's so there's that there's this kind of moment of, all right, here's this is not the story that that is put forth about Brando. We're given Brando engaged in this process that is extraordinary, yet also continually framed as elusive, that we we as an audience can't really access his genius. It's kind of it's a black box. Um, I also use this image because Brando is not a method actor. And that's a bit of a uh, of, of a rhetorical trick I pull on the, the reader, you know, in page two or three, after I lay all this out. Uh, Brando hated being called a method actor. He, he resisted that label. Um, and yet, even when he, in the conclusion I talk about what happens when Brando dies, you know, the New York Times is still calling him a method actor. Stella Adler's daughter is writing to the New York Times, pleading with them, please stop calling him a method actor. My mom was his teacher. My mom did not teach the method. She hated Strasbourg. She hated the method. But these things have there's real power in this um in this received idea of method acting that, you know, even when the kind of I think we could arguably say that Brando is the most visible manifestation of method acting, um when he is not a method actor yet cannot escape that label, I think that says something about, what method acting actually is and what how we make sense of it, how we apply that. And so it's a bit of a trick on the audience. Um, it's also, I think, a, a telling moment when the uh, from the shoot and from the narratives that came out of that, that Life Magazine shoot where we get this contrast between the narrative about Brando that's put out there and um, the reality Uh, And as you alluded to, Pete, it's also just a really great image. Like, he just looks really, really fucking cool. I mean, (laughs) pardon my French. (laughs) I was going to say he looks uh, really hot, too. I mean,
1: it's a a sensual image of Brando, as as many images of him were. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, for for me, uh, you know, that kind of uh, important revision you make at the outset is a really useful way to kind of pull someone who is not, um, not working in, in, in studies of film acting into your narrative Mm -hmm. and into your work. I I think that that's a a really useful start. And I'm hoping, you know, uh, my next question is, is another one that's like, well, I spent 250 pages doing this Pete, but I'm still going to ask it. Um, (laughs) so how have you, how have, uh, how has method been misunderstood? How has the method Mm -hmm. been misunderstood? And, and, and how does this create a space for you to introduce this idea of methodness?
2: hmm so without getting into the the weeds because I think this is something that folks like um uh Sharon Kernicki and C- Cynthia Baron and others have done really exceptionally well um in terms of of what uh, uh of what the tenets of method acting actually are, what I think has happened is that the there emerged at some point a received idea of method acting that emphasized the um the idiosyncrasies of certain performers and conflated those with their acting style, right? Um, uh, That uh, conflated certain characteristics, characteristics of star behavior of of unprofessional behavior um, uh, that that conflated a kind of um, connection to a character's inner life and a character's history with a kind of extreme almost uh, uh 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 psychological um you know psychoanalytic understanding of of human nature I mean a lot of that you know there this has been written about by uh by Barron and Carnicky and a few others but it's it's not a coincidence that the popular awareness of method acting really takes off the 1950s um, it it dovetails quite nicely with a kind of popular understanding misunderstanding uh about uh psychoanalysis and looking inward and things like that right um However, it's it has already by that time um become this really fraught um this fraught idea. I mean we have a we have a big breakup. In the 1930s, 1934, between Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler and a group of others who are all members of this organization called the Group Theater, Sanford Meisner is in there, um, Harold Clurman, uh, Phoebe Brand, Morris Karnowski, eventually L.A. Kazan, and it's all of these titans of 20th century um, acting, either as practitioners, but more often than not as 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 pedagogues, um, and and for the first two and a half, three years of the existence of this group, Lee Strasberg was their essentially their de facto teacher of this of this acting style. But people were almost from the get go in the group a little suspicious. Mm, I don't know this emphasis on like, um, uh, you know, uh, bearing our souls and and making ourselves really vulnerable that that seems potentially exploitative. Um, uh, still others among these. So still other. You know she's in Paris after she and Klorman and Strasbourg have gone to visit um, the Moscow Art Theater she stays uh she stays behind in Paris and she actually studies with Stanislavsky and she comes back and confronts Lee in front of everyone and you know she she does her version of the you know I knew Jack Kennedy I served with Jack Kennedy you sir no Jack Kennedy she tells him like uh what you're talking about what you're teaching here lee is not is not Stanislavski's system i studied with the man just now here's and she has the whole chart here's here's a system and it's that like we have in 1934 this schism right that is never resolved those two despise each other um uh, for the rest of their lives and yet by the 50s their very different approaches to acting just get kind of collapsed into one same for Sanford Meisner. Um, you know, he and Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg had uh, in in many ways very different approaches to performance, to thinking about like what the what the the you know, our instrument is as, as actors. But you would have a hard time discerning that difference in the kind of uh, 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 popular discursive networks that just kind of mm, characterized it all as as method acting um they are all part of a larger tradition right what we could call Slavic dramatic realism um people like uh Voktengav and Stanislavski and and Boleslawski and Usman and so on and so forth but you know that's a really big tent and so to for for those very different approaches to acting to get kind of collapsed and referred to as method acting. And then to then get associated with Strasbourg and the actor's studio was something that drove people like Brando crazy. And he, he argued against that um, just about anytime he could for um, 50 years to no avail. And so to me, there's something really, really fascinating about having the most visible quote unquote method actor constantly disavowing that to, you know, and having no effect. Um, that tells me that this thing has just taken on such an outsized presence in popular culture. And, and so I think that we we tend to in the way that we think about and talk about method acting, we tend to fall back on those kind of spectacularized ideas of method acting, um, which admittedly are the those kinds of of discursive tropes are just very uh very clickworthy they're very uh interesting they're very salacious right um you know uh i don't know that as many people would be interested in getting into the weeds of jeremy strong's actual approach to acting when in fact it's far more compelling to read about how he um you know puts himself through the ringer when he's playing Kendall Roy right it's far more compelling to see Brian Cox say oh I fear I fear for his safety um when that has little or nothing to do with anything that's actually method acting um I think it just it it can't hold the actual techniques don't hold a candle in our kind of media culture to the far more spectacular uh, discourse of methodness.
1: Yeah, and I'm hoping you can take that a bit further. Um, you, one mm-hmm. of the things that I particularly appreciated in your analysis was its engagement with critical whiteness studies. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a vague sense that method discourse had has always already been gendered yeah. um but i hadn't fully appreciated until reading your work how it was also racialized so can can you offer us that kind of um yeah. a brief snippet of the kind of the intersexual analysis you offer there
2: yeah i mean yeah so knowing knowing the history of method acting and the history of this kind of broader umbrella of traumatic realism you know you you very quickly encounter that it's a there's a very uh wide world of people uh practicing teaching um these approaches um even within the smaller world of actual like method acting method actors right you just look at the roles of the of the actor studio and you realize oh my gosh there are all you know uh I didn't know many of these people you know were were part of that that tradition um so there's that right there's that kind of obvious that that juxtaposition so in looking at the the reception around around people, looking at the reception of, you know, someone like uh, uh, Sidney Poitier, who studied at the Actors Studio and someone like Marlon Brando, who, um, you know, only very, very briefly did. And he said he didn't actually get anything out of it. Um, One of the things I kept running up against is just the kind of affordances in in Methodness around um, white performers, that there's a kind of. Um there's a kind of 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 uh praise bestowed on white men for the labor of inhabiting another right uh the labor of of uh becoming uh you know a person with mental illness or uh the labor of um <clears throat> of losing weight or gaining weight um or you know immersing themselves in a va hospital for a month um there's a kind of of outsized praise given to those the 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 kind of received idea of the the work that goes into that. Conversely, for uh for women for performers of color, um there seems to be an assumption that um that there isn't as much work to get to a a place like that. Um, in the book, I talk about um uh, Charlize Theron. And how the discourse around her in Monster and in Tully, both films where she underwent a kind of body transformation, you know, which is really, really extreme. I, I wouldn't recommend any performer do that. Um, I'm glad to see that there's there's more critical opposition to that um, in this day and age. But there's a big difference in how her her labor. And her process was framed and received than in someone like Christian Bale, where the work itself was praised now for someone like Charlize Theron. It was much more about, well, when will she return to her kind of uh, normative body type, right? Um, for uh, for someone like I talk about um, Brian Ty- Tyree Henry as well. And someone asked him if he was a method actor uh when he was doing um the series Atlanta and he was like no because there is no if I tried to do what my white counterparts do in other productions I would be fired there's not the kind of allowance for me to engage in uh outlandish behavior to 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 behave badly to stay in character things like that so there's this I think, in its most kind of basic sense, there's a kind of wide uh, um uh, affordance given to white white actors under the kind of with the permission of methodness to to act badly, to act in extreme idiosyncratic ways. And those historically and to this day are not provided to performers of color. And I mean, and and you know, the industry, you can look at how the industry, Abets this in terms of um, who it casts for certain kinds of films, who gets award nominations, and wins. Right? Um, you know, it, it it very much dovetails with um, the racialized way in which Hollywood um, tends to uh, 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 convey value onto people and the 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 work that they do.
1: Yeah, I I was hoping we could we could pivot a bit from mm-hmm. uh I guess this isn't a, a total pivot but I wanted to think about the resistance to method, right? Yeah. You, you mentioned both mm-hmm. um, people worried about methods implications on the actor's well being and and actors vocalizing that there's a certain level of um one one wants to say almost egotism that comes with, with yeah, method yeah. right you yeah. know because you're supposed to be working with a collective and yet one person is perceived as doing method and, and as you know they want to be addressed as character or G- they're
2: throwing it you know with Jared Leto of- shutting down the production of Morbius for prolonged periods because he mm-hmm. wants to stay in character with his leg braces and use the restroom like in character yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: um you know Daniel Day-Lewis and I, I was thinking uh you probably remember well the discourse around uh, Jim Carrey and man in the moon. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, who is not a method actor mm-hmm. um and, and and i think the example that comes to mind for me um and maybe the story is apocryphal right is this kind of confrontation between Lawrence olivier and dustin Hoffman <laughs> on the set of
2: <laughs> marathon
1: man and, right. and i kept trying to find like what the jab was and it kind of varies on the account right like he says like oh why don't you just try acting or like yeah. do your job or something like this right my but... dear
2: my dear boy have you tried acting that kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah
1: absolutely so um you know uh I guess the question can alternate between, say, either, you know, what are the competing traditions at Mm -hmm. the same time, or more so, um, it it might also yield into a a question of, um, you know, the kind of the pushback from, especially from within the acting community towards this this approach.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that, you know, uh, we can we can look back to the 1970s early 1980s and see see a shift in in the reception of method acting um away from one that was like primarily a kind of uh reverence even if it kind of misunder a uh, 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 an acknowledgment that that it's different or strange i think there's a shift uh toward not only just the the outright entrenchment of methodness where we see the word method being used less and less and we see instead talk about absorption and commitment and staying in character and these kinds of you know uh um signals um of of methodness but i think it really becomes uh binarized i think it becomes a matter of um uh reverence or revulsion that there are these two extremes and we can you know we can look at like how people react to jared leto um as someone who it just uh engages in behavior that is disruptive that often overshadows the movie you know the 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 ultimate uh, uh film itself um we can see a, the kind of way in which daniel day lewis's performances are 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 routinely um, uh, understood as, you know, maybe a bit silly uh, in the way he stays in character, but ultimately it's the, you know, the end product is like, oh my gosh, here he is again, showing off his extraordinary, you know, ability to act. And and of course that's tied back to his performance. Um, I don't see a lot of middle ground. I don't see a lot of uh, of popular effort to parse this um these received notions of acting i see people very very quickly falling into to one or the other camp um so when you see something like you know i don't know if we'll get another daniel day lewis movie anymore but when you see the new yorker profile of jeremy strong you know it you can very quickly very quickly see how it follows a familiar trajectory um uh there's a movie i talk about in the book, that I think really captures this this essence, which is Tootsie, um, a film that is um, entirely about a kind of implied and mutually understood idea of a method actor, and everyone hates this guy. He's insufferable. His agent tells him, "No one will work with you, because you argued about the motivations of a tomato." Right? Um, just as one example. But the thing is, is that his process works. He's reviled. Until everyone realizes that, oh, actually his process makes him a phenomenal actor, and he fools everyone by his performance, right? So that film, that film is kind of pivoting on these these two uh, around these two extremes in in the, the the popular reception of of method acting. So I, there are so many more people who aren't method actors than are, but part of the problem is that far more people are like Marlon Brando and that they just keep getting kind of sucked into this, this, um, this black hole of methodness, um, even as they will explicitly say, I'm not a method actor. Right. Um, But, but I think that it's, it's also, you know, I talked about the kind of how, how this reception aligns quite well with our attention economy and with, you know, uh, our understandings of stardom and and things like that. I also think that it it probably is indicative of just how much dramatic realism shapes screen performance these days. Like we don't have those. We don't have those firm divides anymore between Laurence Olivier's and Dustin Hoffman's. It's much it's much murkier, right? We don't have, you know, method acting isn't as widely taught um, as it was in the 1980s. Um, There are many more traditions now that are that are part of the process, but dramatic realism informs just about everything we see in, you know, North American film and television. So, you know, I could also see it being plausible to many people that, oh, well, it seems like it's method acting, right, because there's that conflation. And so anyone could potentially be a method actor if they're a if they're a weird you know star uh then uh <laughs> people might be predisposed to think that they they must be doing method acting um the most recent uh thing i saw is uh isaac butler and i was sorry um oh my gosh um uh austin butler sorry austin butler and you know the we'd already gotten the kind of methodist around him and uh his role in elvis and how he carried that 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 uh performance over into the uh award season and the way he would talk right um and uh i'm seeing this again in people talking about how he would lose himself in character while filming you know dune part two and if you look at the the source material these interviews he, he you know butler's not talking about himself as a method actor He's just talking about himself as an actor and he's, you know, talks about, you know, what he does to prepare. And it's like, this doesn't read as method acting, but it's the, 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 the discourse communities that take that up are kind of engaged in this well-worn practice of, well, he talked about getting into character. So that that's method acting. Right. And then that kind of builds into preconceived understandings and, and then we're kind of off to the races. Right. Um and I think there's there's really there's something really profound going on there. Um that's far outside the power of any performer, right? Uh um and any one performance.
1: So I wanted to ask where is the method at today? Mm-hmm. Like the literal method, not not what we've ascribed to be the method, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you have a sense of what acting schools are or aren't teaching, right? We hear some people are coming out of the Meisner tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or they say, you know, we I I studied with the 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 a student of so and so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so where is method now? Um, and at the same time, you know, do do we see actors who are embracing like no i am in the method tradition um
2: that is a great question i don't actually know where the the literal method is at right now i mean i will say and this is um this is something a few folks have talked about um isaac beller talks about this quite nicely but like um you know the the method is overrepresented in our discourse i think it's under i think it's it's um now, one of many, many, many different approaches to performance that actors are getting in this day and age. I mean, the you know the there are still there are still a lot of people that practice you know the kind of Strasbourg inflected approach to performance. Same could be said for Stella Adler. The Stella Adler School still going strong. Um, you know, uh, still a lot of uh, Meisner adherence. know and there's just there's there have been subsequent generations of their students who put their own spin on things you know there's the uh you know a whole gosh i have three or four generations now people that have come out of the juilliard tradition right um i think there's a lot of performers that are coming out of uh improv traditions and the people who you know were um uh like improv comedy scenes and and the teachers kind of involved in those Um, uh, uh, And those approaches. So I think it's just a much more crowded area. And I, uh, you know, there are still, uh, the method still exists. uh, But part of the challenge is that it's just so overrepresented in terms of uh, the way that we talk about it
1: overrepresented and misrepresented right i think that you make that pretty clear as well yeah, yeah. Um, so 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 thank you for that um what are you, what are you currently working on are you, have you are you continuing to examine um the methods resonances or has your research headed in a new direction
2: so in my conclusion uh, i i return to brando briefly Uh, not only his, his, uh, his passing and how he's received in death, but also this very interesting thing that he tried to do in the 1990s, uh, where he, he tried to, um, uh, he worked with a cinematographer um, and uh, this, this really, this really great guy who I had the, the privilege of getting to know and writing this book. Um, they worked on trying to create a digital double for Brando. And now, you know, I, I can't speak to what his, all of his intentions were with that. My I'm given to understand that for him, it was a matter of, he was, you know, had grown rather tired of acting, but he thought a digital double could do the work for him. And so, you know, they did all of these scans of his face with the idea of, you know, creating that, that, that inventory that they could piece together and and make performances and you know they produced a a very short film it it didn't do very well but then it kind of largely went away I think there's something I think that's a a very fascinating precursor to what's been happening especially in the last few years with um increasing um shift by some some entities in the media industries toward um uh uh bringing together ai and screen performance um so one of the things that that's that's really left me um uh both fascinated and concerned is about uh how our prevailing understandings of something like method acting can literally end up becoming encoded in um uh uh you know, uh, future screen performances. So that's where that's where the book book one ends. And that's where uh, book two begins. Um, So the this next project is going to explore the historical and present relationship between AI and screen performance, how received notions of acting work among, you know, folks in the industry, audiences, critics, um a lot of there's a lot of really interesting kind of non-traditional um players uh getting involved in this Uh, a lot of small tech firms uh legal firms who are um trying to get on the ground floor of of imagining uh 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 these new you know AI digital actors And so I'm really keen to try to make sense of what's going on there. Um, And that's, we'll see where that goes, but that's, that's where it's starting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That seems like it could pull you into art and technology Mm -hmm. and intellectual property law. And uh, that that sounds really intellectually satisfying. And
2: as, and as a historian, you know, this is a bit different for me because I'm used to dealing with, you know, talking about method, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, our methodologies, I'm used to sitting in an archive and working with, you know, somewhat static materials. I mean, gosh, trying to write about AI right now is it's, it's head spinning. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, I, I like it because it's, it's a new, it's, it's pushing me to, um, to think and write in different ways, but man, it's, it, it is an entirely different beast than, than being in an archive. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I appreciate the historical continuities you're drawing between what Brando was doing. And then I imagine some of the research that was uh, on like synthespians. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I, as someone who, who pays attention to live performance, I'm fascinated by these traveling hologram shows, right. With like, yeah, well, Obviously, Tupac's the most obvious one, but for for those of us who are more, um, you know, opera nerds, the Maria Callas one I think is the mm-hmm. one that has been doing a lot more um, in terms of its its circulation. But this is a rich terrain, uh, and and so is the terrain you cover in your book. We've only scratched the surface, but that's the goal, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so thank you for your time today, Justin. Um, The book is Imagining the Method, Reception, Identity and American Screen Performance available now from the University of Texas Press and other online booksellers. This is Pete Kunze and this has been New Books and Film on the New Books Network. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time.